Hi, I'm Cheryl Prashker, and this is FolkPod, the podcast where we'll hear from some of the most prolific and talented musicians on the folk scene. Get ready for a deep dive into a life lived through music in the studio, on the road, and now more than ever, online. If we're lucky, they might even play us a tune and help us figure out what folk music is really all about. Before we get started, a little bit of business. FolkPod is a labor of love, and a whole lot of work goes into every episode. I've heard from a lot of you how much you're enjoying it. So we've put a virtual tip jar up on our website, thefolkpod.com. Please consider leaving us a tip to help pay for the real costs that go into creating this series. There are other ways that you can show your appreciation, too. Like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platforms. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at thefolkpod. And leave us great reviews to help other fans find us. This week's guest is Janet Robin. Janet is an American guitarist, singer-songwriter, and TV and film composer. One of her first guitar teachers was Randy Rhodes from Quiet Riot and Ozzy Osbourne's band. She was in the all-female band Precious Metal back in the 80s, Hair and All, and was part of Lindsey Buckingham's band, just to name a few things that she's done over the years. She was named one of the top 50 acoustic guitarists and guitar player in 2017, I'm excited to have her here to talk about all that and more. Oh, yeah. And she also happens to be my cousin. Welcome, <laughs> Janet. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, Cheryl? Isn't that crazy? Well, we found out we were cousins quite a long time ago. But prior to that, we've had long careers in music and didn't even know each other existed. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it's a crazy story. Listen, ever since Shauna and I decided to make these podcasts, you've been high on my list of people that I wanted to talk to. Oh, thank you. I mean, I love your story. I love all that you've accomplished. And I want to share that with all the listeners. But no, we didn't know each other growing up. Our grandmothers were sisters. Right. That officially makes us... I suppose third cousins because it's weird, right? Because our grandmothers were sisters. Right. Then that makes my mom and my dad. Right. First cousins. First cousins. And then that makes you and my mom's second cousins. Oh, I see. Okay. And then you and me are third cousins or whatever that once removed right. crap is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand that. I, but either. Anyway. <laughs> to me, a cousin is a cousin is a cousin. There you go. Yeah. But your grandmother left Montreal early in life and she had her family out in LA. Mm -hmm. yeah. My dad remembers visiting when he and your mom were kids. But we met kind of by accident. I think it's a funny story. How did we meet? See, my dad and I were talking about the fact that he has cousins in LA. So I said, look, it's the age of the internet. Let's find them. Right. You haven't spoken to them in a long time. Right. So I looked up your uncle. Oh, Morse. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted my dad and your uncle to get back in touch. So I called him and he and I spoke. Ah, that's right. It's all coming back. Yeah. yeah. We started talking about music <laughs> and he said that he has a niece who's an incredible guitarist. And I, <laughs> I did that folky <laughs> snobby thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. You have a niece. That's a good guitarist. Ha ha ha. Oh no, really? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't right. say it. I know. I know. That's funny. <laughs> but then I had to eat that dust <laughs> when I heard you play. And you know what, folks, before I go any further, you got to make sure you look Janet Robin up and you'll just see for yourselves. I don't have to explain any further than you seeing her play and she'll play a little bit for us later. But that's kind of how we met. And then it's been awesome because when I got to L.A., I stayed with you and uh, you used to come out to Philadelphia. You stayed with me and it's just been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And you've sat in and played on my shows. Yep. Many times. Which I've loved. I love accompanying you when I can. And then you got me, you know, involved in Folk Alliance a bit yep. and I yep. came out there. That's and, right. Yeah. And then we yes, met yes. up at APAP two years ago, I think. That was fun. That too. Yes. It's been an awesome ride, but since we didn't know each other as kids, how old were you when you started playing guitar? I was six. I was six when I started on classical or uh, nylon string yep. and folk songs and whatnot and some classical songs as well. I kind of started with picking, finger picking. Hmm, really? Yes. At such a young age. Oddly enough. And a little bit of reading music. And, you know, we're talking the 70s, right? So <laughs> yeah. my brother really influenced me a lot, older brother, and he was listening to all kinds of 70s classic rock whilst smoking lots of pot. No, he did not. <laughs> How much older is he? He's four years. Okay. I have two brothers, and the one in the middle was the closest to me. And he got really involved in this music, Zeppelin and Beatles and whatnot. And sure. I started getting involved in it, too. And, and then he wanted to play electric guitar. And then, of course, well, I was done with the nylon string wanted to play electric guitar as well. <laughs> of course. And yeah, I mean, the quick story <laughs> behind Randy Rhodes was 
essentially we got a referral to him as a teacher and he taught out of his mom's music school, which just happened to be around the corner from our house. So my mom was like, yeah, we're going to go there because it's five minutes away. And so he switched over to electric and so did I. And, you know, Randy at the time was not who he is now. And by the way, he's getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. Did you know that? I know. I'm so happy for that. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So happy for him and his family and you. And it's just awesome. My story is somewhat eclectic musically. And Randy's is too. Of course, he's known as this like heavy metal guitar player. But frankly, he was actually a very accomplished classical guitarist. Oh, I didn't know that. Very accomplished. When he was on the road with Ozzy, he hired a classical guitar teacher to go with him. Wow. So he was quite the finger picker and he had very eclectic musical taste. I learned blues, all that stuff from him. That's incredible. Of course, I learned some of the crazy shredding licks and stuff. Sure, sure. But he encompassed all musical styles. But anyway, yeah, we just moved over to him. He was a young musician out here in L.A., and he was with Quiet Riot at the time, which was a local L.A. band. They didn't get really famous until after he passed away. Right. And yeah, I studied with him for nearly five years, and then he got the gig with Ozzy. And I kept taking lessons from his successor at the same place, I guess, until I got into Precious Metal. And that's a whole other story. (laughs) So you studied pretty seriously through like, I guess, age nine to 16. Yeah. Well, you know, if we count from when I started, yeah, six until. Right. Yeah. I continued studying until I was about 20 or so. Okay. So I kept going to lessons and learning as much as I could. That's incredible. The dedication is amazing. I love that. Well, I found what I liked. So, you know, I tried karate. And then once the teacher tried to use me as a punching bag and I passed out. Karate? Yeah. I was like, no, karate's not for me. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just getting a visual. Well, you know, when you're young, you're trying all these things. Yeah. I mean, I tried like dance class. I tried t-ball and. Oh, my God. Dance. No, 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 no. And then the karate. I mean, for me, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was really lucky because I found guitar. And even at that age, I felt like I had found my third arm. Wow. Right. I just was so connected to it. Wow. I was locked up in my bedroom all the time playing. I mean, my mom literally was like, you got to come out and eat. (laughs) Yeah. Come and eat. (laughs) (laughs) Were your parents supportive? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had no choice, really. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. I think they were happy I found something I really liked because I felt a little bit like an outsider. And I was the only girl in the, you know, the youngest in the family. And the boys were doing football and doing all these things. And I was just a tomboy. I didn't fit in everywhere until I found guitar. You know what? We are so much alike. <laughs> Makes sense. It's unbelievable <laughs> that we didn't know each other growing up because we're so much alike. I was in the same boat. Yeah. Tried all that stuff. My mother wanted me to try all the feminine things. Ballet. Yeah, ballet, <laughs> all that stuff and, and majorettes. And I did that. Oh, God. I know. I know. There are pictures on the web. It's just horrible. I played goalie. I played, well, ringette <laughs> out here is kind of like hockey for girls. Oh, cool. Back then, women were not playing hockey yet. So I played that for a long time. Time. Got it. And then I found music and it was like I found mm-hmm. everything. I found my calling, my people, and yeah. I finally fit in. Miss Bucha. Yeah. Our Miss Bucha. Our Miss Bucha. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's same with me. And I'm so grateful for it because it literally saved my life. Uh, you know how many times I've said that? <laughs> you know how many times I have said that? Literally. I know a lot of musicians that feel the same way. I mean, music is that way, isn't it? We're very lucky. And grateful. And very grateful. So I have to know, since you were so young when you were in Precious Metal, I actually don't know the story about how that came about. Mm -hmm. Did you have to audition? Did you meet somebody? I did. You know, back then in L.A., it was a big deal to look for bands in classified ads. Right. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, Montreal and New York, too. Right. We had Music Connection magazine, and then we had... Well, our newspaper, but we also had this rag called the Recycler. And that seemed to be very, very popular with musicians out here in L.A. to hook up and meet. And I desperately was trying to find a band. I had had like little bands growing up. Actually, my first professional gig was in my band in sixth grade. (laughs) We were called Rocks, (laughs) R-O-X-X. I love that. And the singer of our band was the nephew of John Travolta. Wow. Was he good? Yeah, he was great. (laughs) And the family asked us to play the father Travolta, the grandfather's birthday. So we got hired like $100 to play (laughs) our 
silly original <laughs> rock songs for Grandpa Travolta. <laughs> wow. And of course, all the Travoltas were there. Oh, wow. John came and he was the one who actually paid us. I remember standing in front of him and he's like <sighs> pulling out a hundred dollar bill or wrote a check. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but I was just like <laughs> looking at him like, you're the guy from Greece. It's, oh my God. Oh my God. It's him. You know, and he was so nice. So, yeah. so nice. I have pictures, not with him, but of me with the band and Aww. yeah, we were ahead of our time. We were like interracial band, yeah, <laughs> intergender. You know, I was the only girl in the band. And, it's awesome. Yeah. I continue to try to put these bands together. It was just yeah. never working out. And then I would audition for other guy bands. There really weren't a lot of like female rock musicians. The Runaways was already doing their thing and yeah. there wasn't anybody else. Nope. And every time I would join a band with guys, they would either want to date me, number one, or number two, they didn't take me serious. Right? Or actually number three, they were jealous. <laughs> Perhaps because I was quite good even back then. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, screw it. I want to be in an all girl band yeah, yeah. because I won't deal with all this crap. And I saw the ad for an all female band. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. So, yeah, I went to the drummer's apartment audition. We met and we all clicked. And were they already established? Well, the drummer and the other guitar player were established already. And then they had their eyes on a singer mm -hmm. and a bass player. And so that came quickly after me. And then we all met and there was a producer involved already wow. who had a little bit of a name. So I was like, oh, this is pretty professional, which is what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted that. And I was, uh, you were young, 16, 17. Yeah. 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 Our first gig was at the high school lunchtime concert. <laughs> <laughs> I was student body president at the time, believe it or not. So I could book us. You see, yeah. it's all about who, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I booked us. Yeah. Pictures of that too. We just kept playing the scene outside in LA. And of course, at that time, I wasn't allowed to go into the bar except for soundcheck. Then between soundcheck and the show, I had to sit in my car or whatever, oh, right? you know, because I was underage. Oh, so basically I'll make the story short as possible. We did a lot of demos at that time. You could send in your demos to sure. major radio stations. They would play them on like demo hour, you know, right? and it's just, you know, true Hollywood story. One of our songs is being played. A record exec had the station on. It's a big station called K-Rock out here. Right. He loved the song. He called the radio station. Who is this band? Literally, we got called the next day. Have a meeting. I'm going to sign you. Wow. <laughs> One of those kind of things. <laughs> That's wild. So that was 1985. Yeah, I'd already graduated high school. It was one year later after I joined the band that that happened. And that was to Polygram, our first record deal. That's wild. Yeah. Stayed in that band nearly seven years, several record deals, Capitol Records and various other small labels as well. And we really tried. And as the name says, Precious Metal, we really were more precious than metal. <laughs> it was actually to a detriment because um, no station could know where to place us. Our music was more like a Bon Jovi, like a female Bon Jovi kind of right. glam rock. And then the metal stations weren't playing us because we weren't metal enough. Yeah. And then grunge came along, sure. Nirvana and all that. And then they dropped us. <gasps> that was the end of that era of glam right. rock. And we also were up against music directors at stations literally saying to us, we already have a band or a female singer on our playlist. We can't add another one. OMG. For real? Yeah. Yeah. For real. Oh my God. They had a quota. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's messed up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You never went to Europe with that band, or did you? No, but we did tour quite a bit. We did a lot of touring, yeah, yeah, all over the country. We did go to Canada as well. We played all over. We did some opening dates. That's awesome. And it introduced me to the business in a lot of ways. And Very cool. Also co-writing and how to write with people. And then we also wrote with big name artists like the guys from Poison, yep. guys from Cheap Trick, and the Wilson sisters from Heart, which was for me, like a really huge deal because, hmm. yeah, when I was growing up, they were really the only women rockers that I could identify myself with. Yeah. 
What a great experience to have. To write with them was great. Yeah. It was all around a really good introduction to how fucked up the music business is. <laughs> right. There you go. Well, you learned so much so young. And see, I didn't have yeah. that. So I didn't learn that till much later. So what a gift mm. that was to you. Good or bad, you know? It was good. It was good. And pretty much after that was when I was like, what am I going to do with my life, with my career? And I got the call to audition for Lindsey Buckingham's band. And remember, just because I was playing metal and hard rock, my tastes were quite eclectic. Right. I mean, I knew, of course, Fleetwood Mac was a huge fan, knew who Lindsey was, knew his guitar playing. And I knew I could do that gig. I just knew it. But there were a lot of guitar players. How many guitar players were there? We had five guitar players. And he specifically wanted two women because he wanted them to sing. He wanted the female vocal. Oh, okay. So he had two guys. Yeah, which he's used to, of course. Yeah, yeah two guys, two girls, and him. And then two percussion players, a drummer, bass player, and keyboard. It was a 10-piece band. Wow. I can't even imagine what that experience was like. Huge. Well... You know, for him, it was a new thing, too, because he had left right. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac for, well, that was the first time. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like the 10th time or he's right. been yeah. fired or I don't know. It's complicated yeah. with them. But he wanted to um, put his own band together and tour and because he'd already put out a few uh, solo albums. He'd never toured alone. And, you know, Stevie was out right. there doing her thing. So yep. he wanted to get out there and he wanted all the guitars because on his solo records, they're very layered. Yes. All of his guitar parts yeah. are layered yeah. and he really wanted to recreate that. And when I got the call, I was like, this is going to be the gig for me. I just kind of had this feeling, but I didn't know for sure because when I went to the audition, the audition was like seven hours <gasps> long. What do you mean seven <laughs> hours long? I mean, it was forever. Yeah. They called me to some warehouse rehearsal place and... You know, I've been to other auditions. This wasn't like that. I walked in. He's like, hey, how's it going? You know, there's pot everywhere, right? <laughs> everybody's smoking. And I really wasn't into that. I was all kind of all business. Uh-huh, yeah. And he's like, I'll oh, have a seat. And then we're like talking. He's like asking me about my other band. Well, good. That's good. Yeah. And like an hour's going by. And he's like, here, you know, I want to show you this part in the song. And then I play. And he's like, oh, that sounds Cool. And then, then another talking for like another hour. <laughs> then there's lunch. Hey, you want to eat? You know, four hours have gone by. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Excuse my language. I have to stop cursing. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's 30 years of rock and roll. It's okay. It's really bad. No, it's me too. It's so hard for me on this thing. I will stop. Okay. I'm like, what it's the okay. heck is going on? <laughs> That just doesn't have the same... It doesn't work. Yeah, That's it doesn't, it's not no, as natural. No, no. Okay, anyway. First of all, I just have to say, I've always had the biggest crush on him. Oh, yeah. He is so cute. He's absolutely beautiful. He's a beautiful man. Yes, he is absolutely beautiful. What was he like as a band leader? So he is a beautiful perfectionist. Let's say that. Okay. He is a perfectionist. He comes from that 70s time where everything had to be perfect. Yep. And it was perfect because they were so high on cocaine. Oh, no. <laughs> they did take after take after take after take. They just kept going until it was freaking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have Pro Tools back then, right? So No, he was tough. <laughs> to be honest with you, he was literally, for me, the toughest band leader that I had. And it was the toughest experience, musical experience I ever had. Hmm. It was on a different level of pro, right? Right. So I went from being in this like crazy hard rock Hollywood band to like, you can't fuck around in this band yeah. and it's got to be perfect and you're being paid. You're a hired gun, right? Right, right. And literally our rehearsals, like I did not know this, but we were being recorded on separate ADAT tracks. Really? During our rehearsals. So he would basically listen to every single one of us after we would leave, listen to the tracks, listen to our vocals, listen to our guitar playing and then we would get a talking to oh wow i almost got fired wow no joke he had to sit down with me and he's like janet you're out of time on this part on this song you're singing out of tune on this xyz blah 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 if you don't fix this i'm gonna have to replace you wow <laughs> i always tell people lindsey buckingham is the reason i'm on anti-anxiety <laughs> medication now <laughs> 
because <laughs> it put me in such a spin. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can't lose this gig. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I spent all my salary on guitar lessons, vocal lessons. Wow. And Jay Leno was coming up and he's like, all you people that I talked to, I wasn't the only one. Right. You get your shit together. Or I'm going to have to get other people. He actually literally wanted somewhat unknown people. Huh. And I don't know why. I still don't know why. Maybe to keep things fresh, I think. Uh-huh. Not people that he'd known or had any history with. But, of course, what came with that was some inexperience yeah, sure. in that field. You know, even with all my experience in precious metal. Sure. So he left us to our own devices like he left rehearsal for like a week wow (laughs) he put one of the other guys in charge basically to whip the band up and we were all doing our own practicing at home and you know we got it all together and i liken it to working on a thesis (laughs) to try to get my phd (laughs) or something you know or maybe a master's i still haven't gotten my phd yet but yeah you know i really had to get my shit together and i grew up i grew up a lot personally And I grew up a lot as a musician. And, Uh you know, of course, I still see him on occasion. And the last time I saw him, I was like, I just have to tell you that being with you in the band and having that gig with you just made me a better musician. And I'm so grateful for I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now without the experience of working with you. And he, he just looked at me and he's like, well, that's what it's about, Janet, isn't it? Yeah. And even during the gig, I went to him. I said, I'm sorry I was slacking. This is during the gig. And he's like, Janet, I knew you would rise to the occasion. He's a bit of a a mentor. He saw your musicianship. He saw your potential. And he obviously was excited to work with you. So we obviously always put so much pressure on ourselves. We do. But it did really help build my confidence. And it was great working with a guy, finally, who was not threatened. Yep by me yep. after having been in an all-girl band, which was great, but you don't know what it's like being in an all-girl band. Yes. Yes. I was in one. <laughs> oh, oh, you were in one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For all my desires of wanting to be in an all-female band, there were also negatives to that too. Right. A lot of crying and talking going yeah. on. <laughs> a lot of talking. So it was really a pleasure working with him. He is a pro. Yep. And yes, it was uncomfortable many times because of the perfection and the anxiety of trying to be perfect all the time. But he taught me so much. And I'm so grateful for that. And I still keep in touch with him when I can. He's getting ready to go out on tour. And he's what, 71, something like that now. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? He's amazing. What a great experience for you. I'm just glad you had that, that experience and appreciate you sharing it with us. Well, it really led me to what I'm doing now. So towards the close of that gig, we were exchanging phone calls and exchanging tapes, demo tapes. He was giving me demo tapes of him. What do you think of the song? And I'm like, why is he asking me? Doing well? I think he recognized that I was thinking about doing my own songwriting as well. And he was like, you should do it. That's what I want to ask you about. So when did you write your first song? Well, I wrote songs when I was younger. And then, of course, co-wrote almost every single Precious Metal song. Right. Not every single, but almost. Right. So I had a lot of songwriting experience. But it wasn't until when that gig ended that I started singing mm-hmm. and writing my own your songs. Own I remember clearly getting a four track experimenting and he was encouraging me. We would have calls. He'd send me what you have. Oh, that's great. I'll tell you what I think. And then he would send me his shit. And I'm like, why is this <laughs> sending me? I mean, he wanted to hear my opinion yeah. and I would give it to him. There you go. I would absolutely give it to him. And then he would give it to me. too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I would never sing that lyric, Janet. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> He's so cynical and sarcastic and blunt. But funny. But funny. And, you know, he gets right to the point, which I actually appreciate. Yeah. Just tell me how it is. I'll fix it or I'll work on it. Exactly. There's no reason to be all like, oh, that's just so beautiful, Janet. No, (laughs) no. To his detriment, he's so intense that that's been probably hard for him in Fleetwood Mac. And, you know, there's different personalities in Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah. He really was the one that encouraged me to go out and do my own thing. And I started working my voice more. And yeah, that's actually when we met, you were sort of right in that yeah. That mode. Yes. And um, some of my favorite songs, uh, which we'll play a few tracks of. Sure. Yes. Like View from Above. Ah. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite songs. Thank you. Everybody take a good look at me. Well, that's just fine because I'm where I want to be. You want to see me rise and you want to see me fall. Well, I'll tell you right now, I can handle it all. This view from above is not love. 
that's one of my therapy songs. There you go. <laughs> I always say when I'm really depressed, I write happy songs to help me get out of my depression there, and yeah. vice versa. <laughs> there you go. There but you go. Thank you. Yes. He encouraged me to write and to write from your heart and to write what you feel right in the moment to just go with that feeling. I actually did sit down and write with him once. <gasps> I don't know where those tapes are. Oh, he has them. I okay. don't know where they are. Is it hard to write from your heart? Is it hard for you? No, it isn't. Not now. I think at the time I was a little afraid and I was not sure what am I going to write about? I have a lot of shit to write about. <laughs> Even at that young age, I was, I don't know, 28. Right. Well, that's not that young, right? Well, when I started doing my solo stuff and then I was got influenced by other people like Ani DeFranco, for example. There you go. Yeah. That was the beginning of that whole like do it on yourself yep. thing. Get out there on the road, book yourself. I was so, so inspired by her. I saw her at a small club in L.A. right as she was coming up. I'd never seen anything like that before. Right. Her guitar playing was amazing. Her yep. singing, her speak singing thing that she does and her lyrics and her performance and everything. And the fact that she was selling CDs on the side. I'd never seen that before. Right. It's very common. We all know that now. But back then, what, 96, 95? 90s. Yeah. There was some guy who was her manager yeah. selling CDs on the side of the stage. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> She's so confident, too, right? Like you have a confidence about yourself on stage. Well, you do. It comes across when you're singing your own songs. It's the anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> no, thank you. I think I've just influenced by seeing these people going out and just doing their own yeah. thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to book my own gigs. Wow. That's a big difference from just playing in somebody else's band and not having all the pressure as a front man. And then you become a front man. Right. Front woman. Right. Going from the hired gun thing, too. I was like, well, I could do that. And I was actually getting auditions. And I remember clearly turning one down just because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to focus on my own thing. And it just so happened that the audition I was called for was for a young Canadian singer who was coming out with a big record they thought was going to be really big and her name was Alanis Morissette. <laughs> you turned that down? And she was open to having a female guitar player and I was like, you know, that sounds great but I'm doing my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. How did you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. She yeah, was, nobody knew. Yeah. Many years later, I found out how I could do both and that's when I played with like Meredith Brooks and Michelle Shocked yeah. and Air Supply. I still continued to get other calls uh, and I found out a way of balancing. No, and I'm glad because that's the way to do it. Yeah. That showcases your own material in front of other bands' audiences. Of course. Yeah. Like I saw you in New Jersey with Air Supply. Ah, yes. Yeah. I saw Air Supply a lot when I was younger. Nicest guys. Really? They're so nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It was fun to see you up there with them and uh, I hope you had fun with it. I had a lot of fun. I mean, Michelle Shocked also. Yeah. Amazing artist and we just met it at a NAMM show, believe it or not, and we just, you know, were drawn to each other also very passionate artists and we work together we're still friends cool meredith brooks as well you know she yep. sang that song i'm a bitch yeah yeah she was also another la female guitar player and she wanted another girl in the band and we did a whole tour with opening for melissa etheridge and she was super cool like on our off dates she did smaller shows like in clubs oh, neat. and she was like why don't you open for me oh, see there you go so I was opening for Meredith you know in these smaller dates in between our Melissa Etheridge tour <laughs> and then she said why don't you sell your CDs on tour too and I was like really nobody knows who I am she's like no just sell them next to mine and I was like, you know what? After I said no to Alana's Morissette, this is the perfect example of saying now yes to everything. And that's what I tell some of my guitar students and people who want to be in this business. I tell them now, say yes to everything and figure it out later. Because you don't know where it's going to lead you. Absolutely. For me, when I tell young artists, yeah. opening up for other artists, like I saw you open up for Colin Hay from Men at Work. Yeah. And what an amazing thing, right? That turned out to be a great thing. He's amazing. Yeah, amazing person. And we're friends. And yeah, he really jump started my solo career and got me into many venues that I ended up headlining myself. See, I remember outside of Philadelphia, you opened up for him and you sold a ton of CDs that night. A ton of CDs. That too. Yeah. I mean, we're completely different artists, but again, another artist and another male not threatened by me or my guitar playing. Right. He was super cool. And 
I think I could trace back my career and just seeing the choices I made. And, and I really don't have regrets. I don't have regrets about saying no to that audition. I didn't know who she was. And I was so focused on trying to get my own thing together. I actually needed the time to do that. And then yeah. that led to other things later that I started saying yes to everything. I mean, now I'm a little bit more selective. Right, right. <laughs> Just because of time. But yeah. I want to talk a bit more about your song. Right? Like, sure. There's a couple songs besides View From Above. A View From Above. Yeah. Mad Mission. I love Mad Mission. Oh, that's a Patty Larkin song. Oh, okay. Oh, I love your version of it. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and I love... Flood. Ah, thank you. Because you play that on the banjo tar. I do play it on the banjo tar. However, the original version's on guitar. Every time I see it waiting up ahead, I change direction fast. As a hurricane or politician, then I'd wonder why nothing lasts. On the long way round, there could be something to it if we're willing to wait through it could be a big blue sky and all this gray but after we begin it can't put a stopper in it so we've got to know that we won't wash away in the flood and uh, a friend of mine for my birthday, gave me this banjo tar, which is a six-string banjo, and I started playing it live on that instrument just for something different. And then I was like, what else could I do with it? Oh, let's plug it into a Wawa pedal. <laughs> <laughs> and let's go psychedelic at the end. For all you banjo players out there. Right. So if you play the recorded version, it is on guitar with no Wawa. But if you go online and look on YouTube, you'll see me playing it on banjo. There could be something to interesting question for you. Sure. So the CDs that you've done of your own material, yes. you've had other people produce. Have you ever produced your own? No. So you've always wanted to make sure you have a producer. And I know you worked with John Carter Cash. Twice. How did that relationship start? So 
I was watching Walk the Line for the second time with a friend, and I was just really inspired, and I was getting ready to do another record, and I didn't know who I was going to work with. And I, I wasn't confident enough at the time to produce my own records. I had worked with a friend who wasn't like a pro-pro producer, and we sort of produced a little EP I did together. But I wanted to do a full CD again. I had all these songs. I demoed out all these songs, and I was just trying to figure out who should I work with. And I watched that film, and I was so inspired. I was like, God, it's such a cool story. And then I was like, did they have any kids together? Yeah. You know, they had children separately. Yeah. And I don't know why. I was just curious. And I looked it up, and they did. They had one, John Carter. Yeah. yeah. And he happened to be a record producer in Nashville. And I was like, oh, I love Nashville. Nashville, you know, and huh, record producer, what does he do? You know, so I looked him up and I saw this YouTube interview and he was talking about how he grew up listening to metal and hard rock. He did. And all this kind of music that was completely opposite from what he was surrounded by. But <laughs> right. Yeah. But at the same time, he was surrounded by all that amazing folk and country and all this other kind of music. And that now the stuff he's producing is pretty much only what he wants to produce. And it's more based in singer songwriter. And I was like, okay, this is the guy for me. This is the guy for me because he will understand sort of my aggressive acoustic guitar playing mixed in with sort of folky lyrics. And my background is very eclectic musically. And my songs are sort of eclectic in that fashion. And I literally, okay, this is the days of MySpace. I MySpaced him. (laughs) Well, no, I MySpaced the Cash Cabin. Okay, I didn't have his personal information. Right. I saw that he ran Cash Cabin Recording Studios. I sent a message to Cash Cabin. I just said, look, I'm interested in you listening to my demos and maybe you producing and blah, blah, blah. Didn't hear from him for two weeks. Suddenly I get an email. It's him. And he's like, I got your message that you sent on MySpace. From MySpace. (laughs) I'm very interested in hearing your stuff. And I told him who I'd worked with. And that helped, of course, with a little bit of credibility. Sure. And he knew who Randy Rhodes was. And I was like, okay, yeah, he's my guy. And cut to weeks later. Yes, I want to produce you. And it's going to cost X amount of money. You know, and I'm like, okay, I don't have $10,000, you know, and this was at the very beginning of Kickstarter, which I had heard about, but I read an article from Jill Solbule, you know, who she is, right? Sure. Yeah. And she was doing a similar raise money kind of thing on PayPal. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I ended up raising $20,000 to do this record with John Carter Cash at Cash Cabin. And then it turns out, while I'm there working with him, that he had gone in the 80s to a precious metal show at the Whiskey. No way. (laughs) (laughs) He remembered that? Yeah. I mentioned the band. I was like, I was in an 80s band. And Chuck Turner, who's his longtime engineer, was also kind of a glam rocker in the 80s. And John Carter's like, wait, precious metal? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I went to your gig at the Whiskey. Wow. Like 1988 or something. You know, (laughs) That's crazy. Isn't it? It's a small world. It is a small world. I don't believe in coincidences. And I think everything is synchronized in some way. Me too. I was meant to work with him. He really understood what kind of record I wanted to make. It was an eclectic mixture of all of my backgrounds uh, that I've been influenced by musically. And he was great. He was so great. So great. I did it again for a second record. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what happened. That's amazing. Yeah. What a great relationship to have as well. And Great relationship. Yes. Would you play us a tune? Oh, sure. If you're speaking of that record, which is called Everything Has Changed, I'm going to do a song from there. And like, it's early for me. So forgive me for not singing on this song. I'm going to just play some guitar. How about that? Awesome. Thanks. I did this instrumental. I kind of had it finished before I went in the studio, but I also kind of winged it a little bit and I didn't have a title for it. And I'm like, John, what should we call this song? He's like, well, why don't you call it the um, address of Cash Cabin, which is 134 (laughs) Cedar Hill Ranch Road, but it's CHR 134. Okay. Okay. That's what it's called. Cool. You are hearing a shaker. That's because I'm holding the shaker in my hand and picking. I love it. Okay. All right. Here we go. I think the gardener's here, so <laughs> hopefully his lawnmower's in tune with my guitar. <laughs> and you hear okay? All right. Here we go. You ready to have some fun, Cheryl? Oh, bring it on. 
You ready to rock with me? I'm rocking with you, cousin. All right, here we go. I don't think I need my second cup of coffee, so I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay now. Oh, yeah. We're recording this in the afternoon. It's morning time out in LA, and that was incredible. Yes. I love the shaker bit in the middle. Your timing was incredible. Oh, man. Well, you would know, master percussionist. <laughs> oh, I love that. That was great. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Guys, I'm telling you, you got to go see a Janet Robbins show. <laughs> you just got to. How has the last year been for you professionally, emotionally? Have you written music? Have you not written music? It's been an interesting time for musicians, obviously. It has. I did do a few streaming shows, which I absolutely hate. Really? I do. Okay. I really do. I'm such a live performer that when I finish a song and it's silent... I need more anti-anxiety medication. You need the audience to feed off of. Yeah. It's terrible, you know, and... Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I was sort of like, I don't know if this is for me. I get it. I found that the pandemic was okay for me to have this time off. Yep. It became introspective for me. Mm -hmm. And yes, because my other project, which we will talk about, The String Revolution, we could not get together and rehearse. Although we did manage to keep things going. I'll tell you about that later, but... I dove deep into a, another project I'm doing, which is a blues project. It's called Blues Renewed. And that will be the new solo thing that I'm doing next. Oh, I didn't know about that. I ended up doing 10 songs. And what I'm doing is I'm taking very old blues masters. Yeah. And I'm renewing them by overdubbing on top instrumentation. And they're odd songs. They're not songs that people would necessarily know. But I got so inspired by the blues mm -hmm. from teaching some students that I was like, you know what? I would not be playing any guitar. We would not have rock and roll. We wouldn't have folk music. Right. And not as we know it now, perhaps, with Travis picking and all that in relation to guitar. No, of course not. So I chose specifically these really fabulous guitar vocal songs. Uh, the vocals are just like uh, the passion in their voices. And of course, they're all like scratchy, like... You know, but the performances are amazing. And I, I'm sort of making them sound a little bit more contemporary. I'm not turning it into a dance <laughs> right, record or something. Right. <laughs> I feel that production is appropriate for each song. And I'm going to do right. several volumes. And that's what I'm doing. 
right now. That's wonderful. Along with the String Revolution. What a great project. Thank you. Well, so I need to know how the String Revolution came about. Can you tell the audience what it is and who they are? So the String Revolution, my other passion, is a group of four guitar players. And once again, I resorted to the classifieds. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Uh, How 80s of you. Right? No, honestly, I kind of went the Lindsey Buckingham route. I was inspired by being in that band. And I was like, I would love to do a band that features more guitars and try to see if we can experiment using the guitar in different ways to make it sound like a band to maybe make it sound like we're playing a bass or make it sound like we're playing percussion or a keyboard part or something more instrumental, even though we do have some songs with singing, but I wanted to experiment with that. So I didn't want to work with people I knew nothing against those people. I just wanted new people I had never met. And so I put an ad in Craigslist. Wow. Believe it or not. You know, it was quite soon that I was able to put the band together. Oddly enough, not one girl answered. Oh, that's interesting. I guess that isn't odd. It's more sad. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Not one girl. And I was open to having a girl in the band, sure, of course. Yeah. So can you tell us the names of the other artists? Sure. Yeah. Art Zavala Jr. He's from out here. And then the two other guys are from Europe, but they live out here. Daniel Schwartz, he's originally from Switzerland. And then Marcus Ilko is from Austria. Hmm. And we all come from extremely different (laughs) backgrounds musically and totally different styles of guitar playing, which is exactly what I wanted. And, you know, when we first got together, we immediately started writing. It was like, okay, this is coming quick. That's wonderful. That's kind of when you know, okay, this is going to work. Yeah. We've been together, what, six, seven years now, and we've had some amazing things happen. To be honest with you, the last gig that I played with them was right before the pandemic, and it was at the Grammy Museum. Oh, yes. Played there with Eric. It's a beautiful room. It's a great room. We got asked to perform there, and Scott Goldman, a great interviewer, he interviewed us and was nearly sold out, and that was such an honor to perform there. Mm -hmm. And that was the last time we played because it was like December and then the pandemic came, you know, basically in February. But you have done a few things online with them, I've seen. Yes, we did. We didn't do any shows, but we did some videos online. We were able to do those square videos. I like those. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. We did the recording remotely. We all did our own tracks and Mm -hmm. then we had them all mixed together. So I was working on my Blues Renewed project and working with them at the same time. And to answer your previous question, I was also gathering more guitar students, not out of the blue, but people were sitting around doing nothing. So I got all these calls and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll teach more guitar. Why not? I lost all these gigs, you know? So I was quite busy, to be honest with you, very busy over the pandemic. Emotionally, I did start to get a little cabin fever Yeah, because I'm in LA and you go out out here. It's not quite New York, but you go out, you want to see your friends, you go out, you do stuff. Yeah. And I became a bit of a hermit like all of us, but at least I have my studio to work in and I did have these great students who were inspiring me. And then I had these awesome two projects that really fuel my passion in music currently. And yeah, that's where we're at now. I mean, LA is sort of open. I did manage to get together with the guys for the first time a few weeks ago. We saw each other and we're starting to rehearse. We're all vaccinated. So we have a house concert coming up in August. That is if everything is still okay. Yeah. And we're getting ready to record some more songs. And Good. Yeah. We've done two records and some singles. Fantastic. Good. We did a great cover of Rocket Man. And we have another song from our previous record called Red Drops. It's the name of the record. Yeah. I think those are two of my favorites that we've done. And we're doing more.
continuing that project and I just kept busy over the pandemic and hopefully we can all get back to live music soon. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think we will. <laughs> it would be very nice. <laughs> We're very due. I know. Yeah. Oy is right. <laughs> okay. I have to ask you something. I ask all the musicians. Sure. All right. Tell us something wacky that folks would never guess about you. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I'll try not to laugh. Well, I don't know if it's funny or not, but yeah, I do like to mix my cereals together in the morning. <laughs> I cannot have cereal of just one kind. That's <laughs> wacky, crazy fun. Really? Okay, what do you mix? I like all cereals to be inclusive. <laughs> Diversity here. Of course, of course. And yeah, I'm kind of old school. I like the old sugar cereals, but I try to do the more yeah. organic ones now. <laughs> In your later years, yeah. <laughs> so I like the organic cocoa puffs with the organic frosted flakes. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, and then throw in a little bit of granola. And, and then it's good for you. Yeah, it's good for me. But there's something I can't stand about just eating one kind of cereal in the bowl. <laughs> I love that. To me, that's one of the best answers we've had yet. Okay, good. Oh, my God. There's probably some other wacky things, too. I sleep with earplugs, like I'm sure a lot of musicians do. That's okay. You know? Yeah, a lot of right. musicians do. You live in L.A. I mean, I'm sure there's like garbage trucks at four in the morning. Yeah, and- it's so many years of being on the road in hotels. Yeah. Made, you know, and it's 9 a.m. I'm like, no. Sometimes I do put like a big paper outside my hotel door. Do not knock on this door ever. Ever. Well, I mean, what is it with housekeeping at 9 a.m.? I don't know. I'm sure I could come up with more wacky things, but there you go. Oh, wait, wait. I do have one more wacky thing, and it has to do with being on the road and cereal. Ooh, okay. Because I don't want any disturbances. I want to wake up at a decent time Yeah. so I can feel rested, right? And then I'm not that one downstairs at the buffet. No, me either. Yeah, like for fucking breakfast. And the breakfast is always from like 7 till 9.30. That's just not going to happen. Me too. Right. But when I wake up, I'm super starving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here it is. I care instant oatmeal with me and a bowl and a spoon. That's so cute. So that when I'm on the road, when I wake up at my time that I want to wake up, I make the hot water in the coffee maker and I eat my oatmeal every day on the road. You know what? Your mother (laughs) is proud of you. (laughs) So I have my own breakfast and it's funny because in Europe, you know, they're very proud of their breakfast. So proud that they ask you, what would you like for breakfast the next day? Right. And my road manager on the road is, he's always like, oh, no, no, she doesn't have the breakfast, you know, no breakfast for her. <laughs> Me too. You know, we didn't talk about Europe. You've toured Europe a lot. A lot. Yeah. And I want to hear a little bit about your experiences of touring in Europe and what the audiences are like. Amazing. And how they are receptive to your music. Well, frankly, I've toured more in Europe than I've toured in the U.S. So places like? Oh, Germany, all over Germany for years and years. And then Czech Republic, I became the big fish in a small pond there. I mean, when you play some of these places in Europe, they become loyal fans forever. Yep. Isn't that great? Forever. And it's such a different thing out there. When you play a festival there, there might be a metal band on. And then right after that is like a country band. And then right after that could be like a classical quartet. You know, you buy one ticket to a festival and the audience stays for everybody. That's amazing. So I think maybe why I didn't become hugely famous is because nobody knew where to put me. What do we do with this Mm. girl who plays guitar and she plays a lot of different kinds of music and we don't know where to categorize her. That was tough for me out here. Right. But in Europe, really, they don't give a shit. If they like your music, they come and see you and they support you. And the pay situation there is, is quite good. And they put you up in hotels. They feed you. I get a lot of press. I mean, I was on a cover of yep. the biggest music magazine in the Czech Republic, like the alternate to Rolling Stone. I had to scratch to get into Guitar Player magazine, you know. Wow. So, I mean, I love my country. It's not about that. And I love the music out here. But, <laughs> you know, no, I know. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. It's different. So I, I really did sort of mutate my career into Europe. And I haven't been there in a few years. I miss it. But I have a whole other world of friends and people out there. Yeah. And it's great. You know, I'd love to tour the U.S. more. And hopefully I will be able to do that with the String Revolution as well as with my Blues Renewed project. And Canada, of course. I can't wait to bring you here. Got to do a little tour. 
yeah, I'm looking into getting my passport because my mom was born in Canada, as was my grandmother, as you know. Yep. And I think I might be able to apply. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And we happen to know Wayne Gretzky. It's a long story, but <laughs> he did tell me, if you have any trouble, Janet, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> I just can see you standing at the border and then hold on. I just have to make a quick call and I'm going to put him on speakerphone. Okay. Here he is. Wayne, Wayne, can you vouch for me? No, he literally told me that he's like, I'll call the embassy for you. I'm probably getting him in trouble right now. Oh, well, <laughs> I know. Sorry, Wayne. Anyway, can you tell the audience how they can find you on the interweb? Yes. You can find me through my website, right, JanetRobin.com, and it's J-A-N-E-T-R-O-B-I-N. And then The String Revolution is what it sounds like, TheStringRevolution.com. And both projects are all over social media. Same thing, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm pretty good more on Facebook and Instagram than I am on Twitter. I answer all messages, and I engage quite a bit on social media. Yeah, and you can listen to all of our songs on Spotify, you know, all all the platforms. Actually, I'm really proud of the String Revolution. We have surpassed 4 million streams. Hello. Yeah, it's good. It's a great project. I'm excited to share it. Thank you so much. You guys are all very talented, and I can see you guys getting some festival gigs and getting out there. We're working on it, yeah. It's a unique project. I really didn't want to get up there and just all of us be noodling on guitar for like two hours. Right. Like a long guitar center <laughs> session, you know? <laughs> That's the truth, right? Right. We actually do have actual songs. Even though it's all guitar, it's actual songs. And we do use the guitar in unique ways. And we use interesting instruments like a baritone guitar and stuff. So yeah, check it out. There's videos out there as well. I think the videos are cool to watch. So you can go on YouTube. People can go on YouTube and watch, for instance, our video of Rocket Man. It's kind of cool to see us because you can then see what we're doing, you know, and how we do it. Yeah, I agree. Janet, this has been an amazing chat. I'm so, so happy that you agreed to do this. Very happy to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, artists are so self-absorbed. All we'd like to do is talk about ourselves. So (laughs) I'm used to it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I want these episodes to sort of be chats with people as if we were sitting in a living room just having a chat, which they've become, and also introduce you to new audiences if we can. So I really appreciate it, too. And I know that, like I said, my music is eclectic. There are definitely elements. I know this is a folk-based podcast, but there are elements elements of folk in my music, especially on my acoustic record. And like I said, I'm a musician. I'm not a rock musician. I'm not a just a classical musician right. or just a jazz musician or whatever. I'm a musician, period. And that's the one thing I've learned from the blues, however. Everything really comes from the blues, as far as I'm concerned. Sure, there are your Celtic music that you do and yeah. that folk-based music, but in American music and American guitar playing, it's really from the blues, and I'm so happy to celebrate that in my other project. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, thank you for introducing me to your folk audience. I really did enjoy myself when I played Folk Alliance. That was awesome, and they were welcoming to me, to me and my aggressive my aggressive acoustic guitar playing. Well, they were in awe. I'm sure they didn't know what to do with Ani DeFranco when she came out either, you know. No, everybody loved having you at the conferences and at NERFA, and, you know, it's all about community, and as our careers it is. get longer and, and we meet more people. It's just about community and it's about the music and it's about entertaining the audiences. It is. Ultimately, it's just about music. And if people love music, all kinds, I'm good with that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Janet Robin. You've been listening to Janet and myself chat on FolkPod. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cheryl. How's that? You've got one of those uh, shaker on your finger thingies, don't you? You know what? I don't. And since you're not filming this, I'm literally holding the shaker in my palm while I'm wow. holding my pick. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And just because for you and for, for this podcast, <laughs> yeah. I drop the shaker towards the end of the song because I do this like this crazy thing. And, and and you know what I put on the ground here? Check it out. Watch. Uh, I'm drop it in. Isn't that nice and clean? You know what That's that is? That's very clean. That is a pillow. I put a pillow on the ground. So that when, I, when I drop my shaker, it doesn't do this. 
hear that? Oh Look at yeah, and here it is. Listen to how nice and ah, oh, so nice, so nice. Folkpod is a production of Long Story Short with me, Cheryl Prashker, your host, producer, and lead schmoozer, and Shauna Boniface, creator, producer, and editor. Like and subscribe to Folkpod wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us five stars on iTunes. It really helps raise our profile for more listeners. Catch us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Folk Pod. Thanks for listening and hope to see you next time. <laughs>